Our gospel reading this morning is taken from the gospel according to John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I want to begin by simply reading through this passage verse by verse and explaining as I go, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. With that first verse, John is telling us that this is going to be another story of a resurrection, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. The Sea of Tiberias, as John names it, is probably better known to us as the Sea of Galilee. It was a place familiar to the disciples. They had been there before. Verse 2, gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. There were seven disciples gathered there. Now at this point, Judas has, Judas has killed himself, but there are still 11 apostles. And of the 11, just seven are here for this appearance near the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 3, we find out what they are doing. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It's worth noting that Peter and the sons of Zebedee were fishermen by trade. It was their craft. They were professionals. It's what they did. They weren't killing time. They had used fishing to earn a living. They knew what they were doing. They probably went at night because they knew that that was the best time to fish. They knew all the sweet spots in the Sea of, of Tiberias where you were most likely to catch fish. But they've been out there all night and they have caught nothing. And so it's frustrating to them. They've been working all night and they have nothing to show for it. Verse 4, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And in verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. And in verse 6, he said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. That's the first part of that verse. Now, I'm going to pause right there, because this is where I can imagine myself in the place of the disciples, and I can imagine myself getting super irritated. Remember, they're out there on the lake. They know what they are doing. Three of them were brought up doing this. Three of them have put food on the table, literally and figuratively, by fishing. They know what they're doing. They've gone to the good spots. They've fished all night. They used all their skill. Nothing has happened. And now some stranger that they have never seen before in their entire life comes and stands on the shore and says, one translation has it, says, Lads, you haven't caught anything, have you? Now, and then gives them instructions. And the instructions are not that good, technically speaking, because, you see, there was a reason they had not cast on the right side of the boat. 
That was where the steering oar or the steering board was. This wasn't, this wasn't a, this wasn't a motor-powered yacht with an engine in the back. It, it wasn't even a sailing ship with the rudder in the back. Instead, they used an oar or a board on the right side of the boat to steer the boat. So you steer on the right side. On the right side, they get all tangled up. So they know what they've been doing. And now they've got someone they've never seen before in their lives, or at least they don't think they have, standing there on the shore after they've been at work all evening long. This guy just shows up and he stands on the side of the shore and he proceeds to tell them how to do their jobs. But for some reason, the second half of verse 6, we read... So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Even when he's wrong, Jesus is right. The disciple in verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. Now, does that verse, does anyone else get hung up on that verse? Can I go ahead or do I need to explain? Because I tell you, well, two things hung me up on this verse. The first one was that I went through enough levels of Red Cross swimming lessons to know that you don't jump in with your clothes on because it's hard to swim, right? In fact, as I got up into different levels and there was some, one of the life-saving courses, we even had a time when we had to jump into the pool dressed and then learn to take our clothes off in the, when they were wet, which was hard. But the idea was this may save your life because you, can't, you can swim a lot longer if you don't have all these heavy clothes on. So the first thing that hit me when I read this, when I read this passage, when the first thing to hit me is the fact that Peter is not following the Red Cross swim instructor instructions. He's putting his clothes on and then jumping into the water when that is actually the opposite way you should do it. But then I had one of those moments after I'd thought about this for a while, I thought, you know, that's not even really the main problem with this verse. The main problem with this verse is it says that Peter was naked. And there's no good explanation for that, not in the text. Some translators will give you a little bit of a hand. If you find the right translation, they will fudge it a little bit. And what they will say is that Peter was stripped for work. And the truth is probably all the disciples were stripped for work. In a day before washing machines, it was much easier to clean the fish off yourself than it was to clean it off your clothes. So when you went out fishing, you stripped down as much as you could. It just made cleanup easier afterwards. But Peter, when he hears that it is Jesus, Peter grabs some clothes. I guess he wanted to be I guess he wanted to be presentable. He puts some clothes on. He jumps into the sea. In the next verse, verse 8, But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. So Peter didn't have very far to swim. 
And the image I have is of Peter, who's always impulsive, who always says whatever thought comes to mind. Impulsively, he just jumps in, and the rest of the disciples, the more responsible ones, are left to bring the boat, to bring the fish. You can't just leave that out there, no matter how eager you are to see Jesus. And when they get there, verse 9, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And then verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter, perhaps realizing that he had abandoned the others, went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and though there were so many, the net was not torn. And then verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And then verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Two points I want to make about this story. There are different things I need to say to different ones of you, but I don't know which part I need to say to which ones of you. So I'm going to say them both, and then like a choose-your-own-adventure, you'll have to figure out which part applies to you. The first part is this. Note that they catch the fish, but that's not the end of it. When they, when they get to shore, Jesus is there, and there's a charcoal fire, and there's bread, and there is fish. Jesus didn't need their fish. Jesus had his own fish. Do you notice that? I've seen on Facebook a couple times, and I don't mean to criticize you if you've posted this because I understand the good intentions behind it, but there's this passage that talks, there's a little saying that talks about Jesus has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. Basically, if Jesus is going to get anything done in this world, it's got to be through us because heaven knows he can't do it himself. Jesus already has breakfast laid out. He's got bread He's got fish. The God who makes the earth to spin upon its axis and rotate around the suns, who makes the grass to grow and the leaves to bloom, does not need us to do anything. God can do it God's self. And where that applies to some of you is this, is to realize that it does not depend upon you. Discard some of the hubris and realize that God is at work in the world and that God is at work getting things done. God is bringing the kingdom of God into the world and God will get that done one way or another. It doesn't depend on you. This is Often if I were talking to just to preachers, this is the only part I would have to do because often preachers imagine that it is all up to them. I tell you, I can't speak for Jenny, but I know that every time we go on vacation and I come back, I am surprised that the church is still standing. 
and I talk to someone and I say, how'd things go Sunday? And they say, oh, we had a good service. And I'm like, really? You all know how to turn on the lights, you know? No, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of hubris. There's a danger there of thinking that it depends upon us. And that makes us nervous. That makes us anxious because we know that we are screw-ups. We know we make mistakes. And when we think it all depends upon us, we, we hustle and bustle around. To be honest, the United Methodist Church as a whole has been in this mode of thinking it all depends on us for at least the last 10 years, and it has done us no good. I don't know this congregation. I haven't known you for that long, so I don't know if that's you or not, but the denomination as a whole has needed to hear that God is God, and God will bring the kingdom. But for some of the rest of you, what you need to hear is that your part is welcome. No, there's Jesus. He's got the bread. He's got the fish. And yet he says to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Others of you need to hear the fact that God, God not only welcomes our contribution, God wants our contribution. I think you could go so far as to say God longs for our contribution. Although the building up of the kingdom does not depend upon us, God still wants us to participate. N.T. Wright summed this up by saying that we do not build the kingdom of God, that's what God does, but we do build for the kingdom of God. And so the acts of kindness and justice, the things that we do for for God, the things that we do to show love for our neighbor, all those things will be gathered up in the fullness of time and they will be a part of God's new creation. They will be a part of the kingdom. And this applies not only for the kingdom that is to come, it applies for the visible kingdom here and now, the manifestation of that on earth, which is the church. There are some of us who are convinced that if we don't just work ourselves to the bone, the church is not going not gonna to function. The church is not going to pull through. We need to hear that it is God who builds the kingdom. God wants us to be part of what God is doing in the world. There are those of us who need to go out and catch something so that we can bring it to Jesus. I don't know which part applies to you. And I have that nagging suspicion, at least if it were me, I would probably think it was the wrong part that applied to me. So you're going to have to pray, you're going to have to discern, you're going to have to listen for the Holy Spirit to know what you need to do. But the good news is, is that Christ's kingdom is not dependent upon us, but that we are invited to be a part of it. All men.